Do you know what the biggest impacts are to your local estuaries and bays? Interested in making a difference and having an impact on your local fish species you love? Today, Allen Berger is going to share the great stuff they have going in the San Antonio Bay Area and how this might apply to you. This is the Wet Fly Swing Podcast, where we show you the best places to travel to for fly fishing, the best resources and tools that you will discover while there, and what you can do to give back to the fish species we all love. Hey, I'm Dave, host of the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. I've been fly fishing since I was a young kid. I grew up around a fly shop and have created one of the largest fly fishing podcasts in the country. I've also interviewed more of the greatest fly anglers than just about any show in the world. Today, you will learn the three things you can do today to have an impact for redfish and for your local fish species in, uh, in your local waters. Plus, we throw in a few fishing tips along the way. All right, let's quit messing around and jump into it with Alan Berger from sabaypartnership.org. How you doing, Alan? I'm doing great, Dave. Thanks. Uh, thanks for putting some time together to uh, talk about an important topic. Um, you know, we've been doing a lot of episodes around in all sorts of different you know areas and regions and different conservation topics. And I think what we're learning is there's a lot of good stuff going on out there, even though there's still some challenges. And I want to I want to learn about the bay that you you are focused on in your group. But before we get there, let, let's bring it back real quick on fishing. Let, let's start with fishing because I know you do some some fishing out there. How, how did you first, what's your first memory of fishing? How did you get into it? Uh, fishing with my dad in 1958 or 60. I actually grew up in Port O'Connor, so uh, uh, I've been fishing around here a long time. Okay. So, yeah. So, you, and remind us again the, the town that you're, that you're in now. I live in Port O'Connor which is on Espiritu Santo Bay and Matagorda Bay. And uh, our organization is is associated with the San Antonio Bay system, which includes Espiritu Santo Bay. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's not. And we're going to talk a little more about the area, but maybe start there on, we're going to talk about some of the important topics and uh, projects you guys are working on, but give us a, a rundown on that area. Like what does the San Antonio Bay Partnership uh, cover? What is kind of your your region? It is the, the San Antonio Bay Guadalupe Estuary, which is the bay system that's fed by the Guadalupe and San Antonio Rivers that come to hit the bay uh, around Sea Drift. And the bay system stretches from uh, the Aransas Refuge just uh, west of Sea Drift all the way to Pass Cavallo, uh, just east of Port O'Connor. And it's, it's, all, it's all the marshland behind Matagorda Island is a, mm. is a big piece of that. Yeah. Right, Metagor and Metagor Island is this long um, kind of rectangular. I mean, this is that a. I guess talk about that. Is that a natural? Is that all a natural system? That island that goes in front, or how is it? Or is that kind of a like a levee or something like that? Uh, the island is it's a barrier island that, uh, and it is it is now all uh, managed by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife's Aransas uh, National Refuge. And by Texas Parks and Wildlife, they have a wildlife management area that's on the northern end of the of the island. So it's all protected land, and the on the back side of the island is a, a lot of extensive uh, saltwater marsh and lake systems that uh, that redfish and trout love. So oh, as, nice. as do fishermen. <laughs> so <laughs> that's right. And so where is where is that the fishing they do in relation to kind of what you're talking about here around Port O'Connor and uh, and Sea Drift? Well, they, they 
Uh, they probably fish. Um, you know, I uh, don't know exactly where they fish, but they're out of sea drift, and so they have to fish all all of that marsh that's on the bay side, on the mainland side of the bay. And I'm sure they also fish the island complexes on the backside of the island, backside of Matagorda Island. So, yeah, you mentioned a couple. But Matagorda Bay is one. You got San Antonio Bay. And there's a bunch, I mean, there's a lot of water in there. It looks like there's a lot of water to fish. <laughs> there is. There's plenty to fish. I, you know, the, if you if you kind of trace the the bay shoreline uh, uh, in, the, in the San Antonio Bay system, it's at least 150 miles of shoreline oh, in wow. the San Antonio Bay system. And that, does, that doesn't include the, the lake shorelines and the bayous and everything else. That's just kind of the raw shoreline exposed to the bay system. So it's plenty of water. And there's lots of opportunities to uh, kind of get back in the backwaters. And if you're a fly fisherman, uh, pull around and uh, look for them. So that's it. That's it. And, and and I'm just looking at this. And again, I'm a I'm a newbie to this area, so I'm learning. But so that it look, you know, whatever you call it, a reef, an, an island, the long area, it looks perfectly, um, almost like a half, you know, kind of a, a crescent. I mean, it looks really. Is that historically is that all a natural kind of island, or has there been some stuff that's been kind of um, uh, solidified to keep things, you know, the, the ocean, things like that from crashing in? No, it's a, it's a natural island. You, you know, it's a, it's a sand dunes on the high part of it and the, you know, probably 40 miles of Gulf shoreline. And then back behind that, you have 40 miles of uh, saltwater marsh with cordgrass and mangroves and bayous. And, 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 uh, and it's just, it's, it's mostly shallow. I mean, the, 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 Backwater the lakes are from six inches to maybe a couple of feet. It's a great foraging area for redfish. I'm primarily a redfish fisherman. Yeah, that's great. And so uh, that's great. And so I, I and I'm prim- primarily a kayak fisherman. So I, oh, I, nice. I generally paddle around looking for them. Sure. And uh, and fish catch them when you see them. So this is awesome. No, this is really cool. I love, I love. You know, we're kind of going into. Obviously, I'm going into a new place and. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's but it's really exciting because I mean, where you are, I mean, you're not that far from Mexico, right? You're you're way down on the south. I mean, you're below south of San Antonio, right? You're way down there. Yeah. No, we we are just uh, the the best description is mid Texas coast. We're about about halfway between Corpus and Galveston. Galveston. Yeah. Yeah, The the mid coast bays are essentially uh, Matagorda Bay, San Antonio Bay, and Aransas Bays are kind of considered mid mid coast and. We're in Port O'Connor, it's kind of right in the middle of that. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and it's, and then you have uh, San Antonio north of you got Houston. If you go a ways, right. That's not, uh, that's a ways out to the east. Yeah. It's about, a, about 140 miles up the coast from Port O'Connor. Yeah. Not too far. And then of course, Dallas and yeah, I'm getting all my, Texas is a really <laughs> cool state. I mean, I've, we've been doing some episodes in there and, and around there and stuff. And so it is exciting to uh, finally um, get a chance to dig into this. So, okay, well, well, let's talk about, we've got a little bit of the geography, um, going here, but, um, let's talk about the, the partnership that you're involved with. What, um, you know, what's the focus, maybe highlight what you do, what you all do there. The, the Santa Bay partnership is, a, it's, we call ourselves a regional nonprofit. Our, our mission is the protection of the San Antonio Bay Guadalupe estuary. And which is essentially San Antonio and, and Espiritu Santo Bay. But our activities are kind of mid-coast wide. In, in the broad sense, it's just protection of it. Our programs include uh, environmental education for local students and, and, and for kids that live 
on the watershed that feeds the bay. We also have programs that are directly related to picking up uh, stuff on the bays. You know, the the first thing we probably started doing was the abandoned crab trap removal program, uh, where derelict traps are dotted around the bays, and we organize volunteers to go pick them up during during the time of year when the, when the seasons when the crabbing season is closed, and and then we we also have a a, a Bay, a shorelines cleanup event. Mo- most of our shorelines are very remote. They're not. They're not accessible from the from the roads. You have to have a boat to get to them, and so the only way you can pick up trash is with a boat. And so we we organize volunteer activities to go uh, to try to clean up as much of that 150 miles as we can, and we do that each September. Uh, we ha- have programs. Where, uh, we also advocate for freshwater inflows to our bay systems. That is critical to keeping them healthy and productive. So we advocate for that and have programs trying to figure out ways to uh, ensure that the bay gets a fair share of the freshwater. Gotcha. And then the, the, other, the other key part of our program, we, we, we run a sea turtle rescue program. The, this part of the bay system, the bays are shallow, and so during cold weather events during the winter, uh, mostly uh, green sea turtles get cold stunned. The water gets too cold and they can't survive. And they're they're a, an endangered species. And so uh, we organize volunteers to go out and rescue those turtles during cold stranding events. And they go to rehab facilities to warm up and they get released after that. And uh, so we, that's the other uh, wow. conservation piece of our, of our efforts as well. It's amazing. Yeah, sounds like you're doing some really important work here uh, out there so um, and talk about that a little bit on the freshwater inflow because I'm thinking you know you've got this um, you've got the bay which is obviously on the other side of the ocean and uh, and talk about what the the mixing of you've got salt you've got the estuary you've got freshwater why is the freshwater so critical to say a redfish or other species the the you know the the bay, bay salinity I mean the ocean salinities are at 35,000 parts uh, per million or Parts per thousand, I guess. Oh, per thousand. (laughs) Parts per thousand, right. Salinity. And then the base systems are generally, because the rivers are dumping in and the rain on the shoreline are much, or 20,000 or so, or even if you get up to the mouth of the river, it's fresh. And a lot of the the fish that use the base system, you use redfish, for example, they spawn essentially in the Gulf Passes and the larvae are carried back into these shallow, protected, marshes for them to develop and so the this the base system is needs they need the fresh water inflow they need to be less than twenty thousand parts per million parts per thousand <laughs> twenty twenty thousand instead of uh thirty five for them to thrive whether it's shrimp or crabs or redfish they all they all need this salinity gradient from the river to the to the bay to to do their thing. Oh wow! And, and so, other, otherwise, I mean, there are there, yeah, obviously there are other systems that are the Laguna Madre, for example, in South Texas, is a hypersaline solution, hypersaline bay, and so it's it it is saltier than the ocean, but the mid coast bays are not. They're they're different than that, and they they their natural productive place is to be to be fresher than the than the ocean. 
And so for them to be as productive as they are, they need the rivers uh, to continue giving a level of fresh water into the base system to keep them productive. I see. And then, and what are, let's take it to redfish, redfish, because that will be the fish, one of the species that we're really hoping to to, uh, fish for out there uh, when we get out there. But talk a little bit about uh, the kind of the life history of that fish. Where, where is it spawning? You know, where is it moving? Like maybe let's start with the spawning. So, so where is that fish spawning in in the, in the area? Well, I have to give you a caveat. I'm not a fish biologist. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I I think. I You know know more than I do. So this is anything you say will be good. The, the redfish spawn in in the, on, in the Gulf passes, like Pascavalia as an example. Uh, where, the, where, the, where the big redfish are running in the surf during the fall. They spawn there, and, and the tides carry those uh, larvae into the bay system. Oh, wow. In, in, into, into the uh, marshes and lakes, et cetera. And, 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 the, and the redfish will stay in that bay system for three to five years while they grow, while they grow up to, you know, the, up to around, these, about, about 28 inches to 30, you know, which is the legal limit to catch a fish in the bay and when they when they get that mature they migrate back out to the gulf to repeat the to continue the the, the cycle but the, but the juveniles which are are, are in the base systems are uh, are what we've what i fish for up in, in the shallow water when they're foraging and and they are you know up to 28 30 inches big in the base system you know if you fish the gulf jetties and the gulf surf you catch them you know 50 inches but What's the base system are essentially juveniles, I think three to five years to get that big. And then, then they migrate back out and continue the cycle. And so that, that, that connection to the Gulf and the salt and the fresh water from the base system is essential to keeping these systems productive. And then, and there's similar cycles for crabs and shrimp. All, all those things uh, need a healthy base system that is fresher than, uh, than what the Gulf is. The challenges for any is that there's increasing demand for freshwater by population growth, increasing demand for freshwater by by industrial growth, uh, changes in climate that make this area drier than it maybe used to be. So all those things are challenges to the bay. And so how we you know how we as a as a civilization manage that is important to keep our bays healthy and productive. We just got to figure out how to, how to do that. How better to do it. Do. I would guess that you guys are doing a pretty good job just because in the, the title of your, you know, of your name, the partnership, I think is probably an important thing. We've, we've talked to a number of groups around the country and I think that, you know, whether it's in Idaho, you know, in the Henry's fork or any of these areas, it feels like the success comes with the partnerships. You're like working with everybody, not being, not getting too political and just saying, Hey, we all want this. You know, we all want a healthy ecosystem. We all want redfish. What's been your success. Do you think in your area, is that part of it where you guys are willing to kind of talk to everybody and bring everybody to the table or how have you guys been successful? Well, that's certainly the model day. You know, these problems aren't solved by adversarial confrontations. They're solved by people who, you know, I have friends who, you know, I, I, I made my living in the oil industry. So I, I know, I know, I know the, the the pressures that the, that we're all under to to do that, but that that doesn't mean that you that I can't and aren't a conservationist because I am. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but but the, the we our goal is to work with industry, is to work with the the river authorities, to work with the citizens, you know, the the conservation groups like the like the Coastal Conservation Association, 
it's work all those all that we all have a we all should have a common goal to uh, uh, to protect these systems we yeah. do it for ourselves we do it for our kids our grandkids and so i think it's a like trying to espouse that common goal and protect the base system is part of what we do when we try to try to organize the uh people to actually go pick up the trash and we and we talk to the river authorities about trying to help us figure out ways to make sure the bay gets some gets the water it needs so it's it's a big complex problem but we all have to do it together yeah definitely no and that's that's awesome to hear and you know part of it and again water right you go back to that the the um water's everywhere you know you hear about these droughts we've talked to people up in the northeast and all over the country really i think climate change you know we're seeing some changes in in uh, rainfall and stuff so i would imagine down in your area it's especially critical because it's already fairly dry down there how how does that look i mean how are Let's start with the, the the redfish first. How are they doing right now? How how are you've talked about some of the impacts, but um, are you seeing ups and downs in the populations? Are you feeling pretty good about where they are at? I think, I, I think my my sense that the, that the redfish population is doing quite well. Uh, it, it seems to be healthy. I've I've had uh, two good years of fishing. You know, we had a big winter freeze. Was in two thousand and twenty one, I guess it was. That we had a big fish cow in the bays. When it gets really cold here for a for an extended period, you know, like a week long, we have fish kills, and so we had an extended fish kill. I think it was in 2021. The trout population at the time was was hit pretty hard uh, from that, and the redfish as well. But the I've um, I've had two good fishing years since then, and and the trout population uh, with some help from Parks and Wildlife changed some of the fishing regulations to protect the species for a while. They reduce the limits, et cetera. And they're considering extending some of those, but they, uh, fish has been, uh, for redfish has been very good. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and, and so exactly how the, how I mean, mother nature can do a pretty good job taking care of itself. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. We have to give it some room, uh, but, it, they, but the bays are pretty, can be pretty resilient if we treat them with care. So. Yeah. 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 That's, that's great. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that that's part of the secret is giving, giving the Bay or the natural, you know, area just more room, you know, to kind of, because it's good at what it does probably a lot better than what, than we are right at, at fixing things. Oh, I think that's right. You know, it's hard, hard, hard to restore something once you've screwed it up. It's, uh, it's much easier to protect it in it's, in it's more natural state than to try to rebuild it after you screwed it up. Dreaming of battling a giant rainbow trout in Alaska's untouched rivers? Turn that dream into a reality with Fishhound Expeditions. Immerse yourself in the heart of Alaska, where epic landscapes and legendary fish await. Visit fishhoundexpeditions.com and mention this podcast to begin your adventure. Fishhound Expeditions, your gateway to the ultimate Alaskan fishing experience. Squala Fly Fishing, combining advanced materials with fishing-focused, purpose-built design, Squala waders, jackets, shirts, pants, and insulation are made for us. To help wet fly swing listeners right now, Squala is offering a 10% discount on your next order. Just visit squalafishing.com and use the coupon code WETFLYSWING10 at checkout. That's Squala, S-K-W-A-L-A, gear for us, the serious angler. Well, this is cool. So I'm looking down, again, you mentioned Sea Drift, which is right on the right in San Antonio Bay. Talk about the area a little bit. Like if somebody hasn't ever been there and they're going to be going into that area, what what makes it, I mean, there's a national uh, wildlife refuge down in that area. 
what what do you what makes it so special like if you haven't been there well yeah i think the thing that's unique on on the in the mid texas coast is that the barrier island maria matagorda is undeveloped it is a it's 40 miles of refuge and so there is there is no development on the other side if you go to galveston you know it's you have the city of galveston's on the barrier island if you go south to padre island you know all there's lots of development on on uh, padre island too so Matagorda Island is a undeveloped 40 mile chain. And so what's unique about it is that you, that it's just that. Wow. There's no, there's no buildings or I mean, a little so bit of, a cool. little bit of park, a little bit of uh, wildlife management infrastructure that the refuge uses and the uh, Texas parks and wildlife people use, but it's simply undeveloped. So when you leave sea drift to go, go across the bay and you're going into, I like to think of it as our wilderness. We don't have forest. We don't have uh, uh, you know, big rivers, uh, you know, like that with the uh, white water in them. We have we have a marsh bay system that is essentially uh, protected and uh, and can provide an avenue for those who like to get out in nature. Wow, that sounds perfect. I think that that's a yeah, that's definitely it. It's it's the, literally you know, you're in an area where you can go and probably find some natural, a lot of natural areas with, without a large population, even though you have like, you know, like on the map, San Antonio is north of you a little ways. And, you know, it seems like, you know, there's some population obviously, but you're in this area that's definitely remote. It feels like it's, it's remote, it's natural. And it seems like maybe that's what separates you. Well, it, it is, but it, you know, but also, but on, you know, everybody lives in Houston and San Antonio, uh, <laughs> come, yeah. they want to come here to play. Right. The use gotcha. of it. So, so it's it's not like it's nobody around. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> right. It's, and so, but the but our challenge is doing that in a responsible way. And so we're you know that the that the uh, we're not using we're not loving it. To, we we shouldn't love it to death. I guess is the point. Yeah. That we, we want to we want to respect the bay. If we respect the bay and take care of it, it will be good to us. Gotcha. gotcha. We risk loving it to death. Okay. All right. Perfect. And. And so you mentioned a few things, um, and again, let's keep it on the redfish since that's the species we're kind of thinking about here. You know, you mentioned water. Uh, what are the the top kind of conservation issues that you're thinking about with uh, with redfish? Is is kind of water number one, or there give us the kind of a top top few things you're thinking about? Interesting question because I, I, a lot of our programs aren't geared. We don't essentially geared toward a species to oh, right. kind of system. Sure. So so I I, I think the you know, the things that you worry about for the redfish are protecting seagrasses, protecting oyster reefs. It's the, infra- it's the I guess, the natural infrastructure base. And uh, we've uh, we spent the last, I don't know, 100 years uh, dredging oyster shell from the bays. And, and, right. and we're at a point where oyster reefs are endangered and oystering as a, uh, is, is becoming increasingly uh, difficult to uh, make a living doing. So we need to address oyster protection, oyster restoration, uh, seagrass protection is critical. And then, and then the other thing that had happened to us, I guess, as a result of this freeze to, you know, like three years ago, we lost a lot of our natural vegetation on these in the basins in the marsh. It was mostly, it was in this area around Port O'Connor in particular, it was mostly mangrove and it froze. <laughs> so, wow. And so, it, they, what what you, what I worry about is that a major storm event now would it would be a, it's not as protected with the dead mangroves don't protect 
the structure like the live mangrove did. And so you worry, we, you worry about erosion uh, from a storm event as being an issue. Uh, but but I bet the, but the big, big, the big things in, in the bay, I think, are oysters, seagrasses, and then making sure and uh, trying to uh, make sure we don't have a big erosion. And not that we can, we can keep a storm from coming, but well, we just, we need a couple of years of good luck to let the, let the, uh, to let the mangroves reestablish themselves. And then we'll, mother nature can kind of be back in, back in control. Yeah, so that's the thing. So yeah, you guys occasionally can get some big storms down there. What what what's a big storm look like uh, in that area? Well, the, well, the last one was Hurricane Harvey, and I guess probably been five years ago now that hit Lockport, which is just south of here, and it's you know it's, it's 140 mile an hour winds and tons of rain and and a tide that's probably 12 to 15 feet. So it's wow, it's pretty devastating <laughs> to to these yeah. areas. And and uh, and so you know that's that's and, and a lot of the structures wash away, and so they're pretty they they are essentially de- very devastating when they when they attack. But we get Harvey was the last one in nineteen like five years ago, I guess is the okay Harvey. Yeah, that was, that's the one. So you have the hurricane and yeah, yeah, it 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 hang it hung around and it, Harvey did a lot of its damage uh, uh, by raining inland and it you know essentially drowned Houston. Oh wow. But, over like that, off forty inches of rain or some. Wow! How, how much? Forty <laughs> inches of rain, and how? What period of time did it rain? Forty. Oh, several days. Wow! <laughs> don't, don't don't hold me to those numbers. But yeah, it, yeah, but, but, anyway, but a lot. Houston was Houston was inundated with rain. Not four inches. Not four inches, which is a lot of rain. Forty inches. No, but forty. Yeah, I don't remember the numbers, but it was a lot. Sure. It, yeah, but yeah. but the, the, the at the co- on on the coast, it was the wind and tides that had that. They, then it went inland and dumped all the all the water and flooded streets, et cetera. But the coast, the coast sees uh, tidal, tidal floods and, you know, 10 foot tides. And, you know, my house is 10 foot above sea level. And so, you know, a 15 foot surge is not good news. And, and so that, that's, that's what you see. We, and there's, you know, we, you know, we spend the, we spend from you know, August through October watching, watching the weather trying to figure out what to do. So, right. Wow. Wow. You, you're, I mean, it seems like these areas, I always, for me, I'm like a little, uh, kind of, uh, a little scared. You know, I, I think it's kind of interesting because I'm in an area that doesn't have hurricanes, Right. you know, it doesn't have a lot. I mean, our worst thing is, uh, you know, as far as natural, we don't have a lot. Um, so I think about that, it, it, what is that like when you live in an area when, I mean, you were there when hurricane Harvey came through, what's like, how does that feel? Well, actually, I was out of town. Oh <laughs> so wow! I was hiking in the mountains at the time. Oh, so we man. we came, we came out of the mountains and listened to the news. And if we would have been home, we would have been evacuating. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it took it took us a week to get back into town. But 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 people watch the news. They they the newer houses are designed to withstand some of the winds. Mm, gotcha. Are elevated are elevated yeah. above uh, to protect against storms. And so the newer the newer places are much better. The older stuff blows away and gets replaced after the storm. But it's it's just uh, you just pay attention to the weather and you and you have insurance and you try to do as best you can. It, uh, but it's just it's just it's just it's one of the prices you pay for living in paradise. I guess that's <laughs> the way. I do it. That's right. That's a good way to put it. Because and actually we do have. I mean we have wildfires and stuff. So there are there is some things we have, but. 
No, that, that's a good way to put it. You guys are in paradise and you know what? Um, there's things that go with that. It's not all good. So, okay. So that, that's a little bit on, you know, kind of what we're talking about here. I mean, you mentioned it, seagrass, oyster reefs. So I'm, I'm guessing the seagrass is kind of for the juvenile. A lot of that is juvenile rearing, but there's probably a lot. Is that, is that the biggest thing the seagrass is important for? Is that also foraging, all that stuff? Well, it's for foraging. I mean, all, a lot of the things that redfish and other, other uh, species eat or back in or back in that grass, whether it's whether it's small shrimp or uh, grass shrimp, you know, it's, and the minnows and the mullets and stuff that that are all part of the diet of these of the big fish are back in in that fish hiding, trying to hide. So right. it's, it's it's the nursery. It is essentially the nursery for the uh, for the growing game fish, and their foraging areas are back in these in these seagrass beds and around oysters. Yeah. So. That's right. And how do you go about protecting those seagrass beds? Uh, water, you know, protecting quality of, of the water, protecting the structure that's around them that, you know, the, that it doesn't erode away and become open water and too deep. Uh, it, you know, protecting them from, uh, from uh, boat props. You know, one of the big, one of the big issues in these are shallow systems. And, and so one of the big issues is how, how fishermen, behave and whether or not they are operating their boats in a way that protect the seagrasses uh, is, is important. You know, the, the prop scores can take a long time to heal. You have a, you know, if you have a boat run through and cut up a, you know, a six, eight inch cut of, of uh, through the seagrass, it can take a long time to heal and it creates a channel that erodes. Oh, right. it, it, it creates turbidity in the water, which you know, the, the, the grasses need sunlight to grow. Yep. So it's, gotcha. yeah, so it, it's in, you know, you know, third, you know, I guess 40 years ago here, there was a lot of commercial fishermen and the pressure on the bay was from the commercial fishermen. Well, today there's not you know, all the commercial fish now or from all the fishing now is mostly from recreational fishermen. And so, so we have to mind our manners. And protect the bay. We we can't look toward uh, blaming someone else. We're the we're the biggest impact on these is probably recreational fishermen. Wow! And so it's our responsibility to be responsible recreational fishermen. Yeah, and and that's something. Yeah, the boat prop. So do you think if somebody's out there for the first time or they're they're running a boat, how do they? Is it easy to avoid going through the seagrass with the props and stuff? Is is that is that the, the the recommendation is just stay out of it if you can, or, or is it hard to stay out of it? No, well, you, you you can't stay out. They're wanting to go fish in these places. The, the first thing is to, ha- is to have a boat that's designed to run shallow. Uh, and so the technology on new boats now is much better. These boats can run in, in very shallow water without uprooting it. Uh, oh, and gotcha. so it's, it's knowing what your boat is capable of and operating it accordingly. Uh, and and they're obviously doing it, uh, there's times of year when the tides are very low that you probably shouldn't be back in some of these places. And there's times of year when the tides are higher and there's no issues. So you just need to know your boat and know what you're capable of and try to operate it in a way that uh, minimizes the impact on the, on the grass systems. There you go. And it's, it is good that the people like Bay Flats Lodge know all of that and they operate, you know, they work with their guides to uh, try to protect the bay systems. I mean, that, the guys, the guys are can be outstanding instructors, <laughs> and 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 uh, 
educators, right? And all that. And role models, educators for, for the general public because yeah. they, they make their living uh, off that base system and they, they want to protect it. Yeah. And, and that's how we connected. When I asked Murray, I said, Hey, we are, uh, you know, we're getting this going. Who should I talk to? And he pointed uh, me to you guys, right? He's like, yeah, you know, talk to them. And they, so it's this cool relationship, right? They understand that. And, and so if somebody's listening now, right now, and they want to take an action, maybe they're in your area nearby, what would, what would be that for that person? What would be the thing you would tell them they can do to kind of, because sometimes it feels like there's nothing we can do. Climate change, all this stuff is so big. It feels like, oh man, what can I do? I'm just a person. What would you tell that person? Well, if they, if they, if they live nearby, uh, sign up to come help me pick up crab traps in February. Mm. We're all, we're, we're always boat short. We, you know, the, we need, need, uh, 50 or 60 boats to go out during this week. And so bring, bring your boat, bring your crew and come help me look for derelict crab traps. There you go. That's it's, awesome. And, and so when is that typically that in February? It's the, the, the close 10 days in February. And this year it is February the 17th for 10 days. Okay. 17th. And just for people in the future, if it's, you know, it's 2024 now. So if they listen now, they can do that February 17th, uh, but it'll be some typically if it's in the future, it will be around in February typically. Yeah. It's the, I think it's the third Friday each February for 10 days. Okay. And during, during that period, all commercial, all traps need to be that the, either the crabbers are running, commercial crabbers are running, or recreational crab uh, fishermen are putting out. It need to be out of the water. And if they're not out of the water, they're, they're assumed to be derelict and are picked up by volunteers. Oh, wow. Uh, and so that, that's the effort. And so, like I said, we talked about 150 miles of shoreline. <laughs> And a lot, you know, with, you know, with the, what, I mean, square miles of bases, but what we, we try to systematically search the base system, looking for derelict traps and picking them up. And we, we, we document their location and what's in them and who, and, and who owns them. Oh, it's, wow. Wow. There you go. So this is, this yeah, is so, some, yeah. this is good. Yeah. So what, 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 well, I guess when we started doing that, tell me, we've been, you know, we've been picking up the abandoned crab traps for 20 years almost. But there was no really no science about well why are they why are there so many of them and where are yeah. they <laughs> yeah and why are they bad and, and why are they so yeah. bad yeah and so we've been we've been trying to bring a little bit of science to that uh, so we ask our volunteers to use some software things on their phone to help us tell us where they are and what's in it and uh, that helps us understand how it got there <laughs> so. And so that that's the next, that's one thing a, a person that lives in this area can do. The second thing is if you can't come help us, uh, we always can use the money to help clean up the base. So go, go into San Antonio Bay Partnership and become a, a member or give us a little bit of help financially. Perfect. Love that. Awesome. So people can go there right now, sabaypartnership.org, and they can literally just sign up and donate whatever they can to support what you have going. And the cool thing is, is that people around the country, around the world can also do that, right? This is a, a easy thing. And yes. I feel like redfish <laughs> is one of those species, but there's probably a lot of species that are going to benefit uh, from what you guys are doing down there, right? Yeah. You know, the, the, the crab traps I'm taking today, I guess the term that we use is ghost fishing. If, if a trap is in the water, even if it's not, you know, a commercial crabber or a crabber baits it into attracts the crabs, crab crabs, right? Well, well, if things crawl in, if the trap is just floating around, not being managed by fishermen, they think continue, things continue to crawl in, they die, 
and they continue to set, so it becomes self-baiting. And so it continues to trap crabs and fish. I have a picture of a small, uh, a small, a, you know, 12 inch redfish in a trap, <laughs> in a abandoned trap. And it, and uh, we occasionally find sea turtles and diamondback terrapins in the traps. Uh, even, and so that's what happens when they're in the water, but even on, even on the shore, and they're blown up on the shore. A lot of the traps are wind blown up to the shoreline. Uh, we have pulled uh, birds out of the traps uh, that are on the shore. They're, they're, they crawl into the trap looking for, you know, to eat on something that's in the trap. And then they then they can't get out. So they're they're the, the ghost fishing is real and it's a, it's a significant thing. And it and it and it's harv- It's taking it's killing the things that we you know, the, the crabbers are trying to catch the crabs as a commercial product. Well, if, you know, the derelict trap is, is harming them, is working on their, on their harvest. And, this, and the same for, you know, the, the crabs, uh, and they're also important for the redfish food chain. You know, they eat <laughs> redfish and drum, love eating crabs. So, so, uh, so that's one thing. In, in addition, they're also littered to the bays, and they're also navigation hazards, props, props run into them and get tangled and, yeah, ugly litter. Their floats are plastic, and so there's all kind of things, reasons to get them out. Yeah, yeah, they're not good. Yeah. Well, how do you how do you know whose they are? Well, the commercial crabbers they're they're required to tag them with it with a they label them. They have to have a they have there's certain design size and design specified by state regulations, and they uh, the crabbers all do that. So they have to have a equipment tag to know whose it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. And how would a crabber like you got a derelict crab? Uh, say it's a commercial crab. How would it? How would they lose it? Why? Why would that commercial? You know, why would it be sitting out there floating on its own? Well, they're dropped on the bottom and with a with a you know eight inch white plastic uh, white uh, styrofoam float, but they move. The wind and waves will move them. And about half of the crab traps we pick up have been blown to shore. So the crabber runs them, you know, 100 yards off the shoreline, and then a windstorm comes through. Cold front and northern will blow them up to the shoreline. And a high, t- and a high tide and a windy event blows them up. So about half of them seem to be the result of a wind event that blows them out there. Uh, at, at about a quarter of them are just the crabber. Uh, they're left in the open water. The crabber either didn't find them or ran out of time, or I don't exactly know why he didn't pick them up. He's certainly incentivized to pick it up. <laughs> he's, Is he? It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> he's got to replace it if he loses it. Right, right. That's the thing. Yeah, you'd you'd think they would want to not lose these things, but I guess stuff happens. Yeah, and that's so. But but the stuff happens, and then then another another quarter of them were kind of back in shallow water with a low tide in February. He may have wanted to pick it up, but he couldn't get his boat back there to pick it up. So it's hard hard to know exactly. We that's what's one of the learnings that has come from knowing where we find these things. <laughs> where we find the crab. We've been able to address our address our activities toward uh, working with the crabbers to try to get them to pick up the ones that they uh, uh, put in open water and to figure out a way to retrieve the ones that are blown to shore. They are, that's kind of our new challenge: is how to how to recover those after a storm event instead of waiting till February to pick them up. <laughs> so, Well, one thing, and again, I'm probably not, I mean, I would think of it as that you could do some sort of GPS tracking on them. I mean, that might be too expensive, but is that something people have thought about doing where they can just know exactly where they are? Well, you would, you might, but this is a, this is pretty low tech 
operation and and it's you know, there's, there's probably ways you can do that but it, you know it, it's hard to imagine that it would be cost effective and stuff yeah. cost effective for, for the crabber doing that right. you, you well, maybe things you can do uh but you know they've been crabbing this way now for probably a number of years okay so i just think because <laughs> i because i think of like the uh the Apple AirTag, right? I mean, it's like the play thing. Like they lost my luggage last year, so I bought a, a twenty-five dollar Apple AirTag, and now I literally know exactly where my bag is at all right. times, and and it costs twenty-five dollars. So I, I, I'm guessing that yeah, like you said, this is these aren't this stuff adds up, especially if you got fifty crab traps and all that stuff. Yeah, and like I said we we pick up we pick up around a thousand traps every year. Oh wow! So, so 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 it's not just not just one or two. It's a lot, but, but the right. but there's but there's probably thirty crabbers, uh, recreational crabbers. I mean, commercial crabbers in the county, and they have up to three up to six hundred traps. So you can there's a lot of traps in the bay. <laughs> so 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 but it, so it's a it's a it's it's not just a problem in the Texas coast. It's true in Louisiana. It's true on the on the in the for lobster traps in the northeast. It's a it's a uh, consequence of commercial fishing operations, and we all like to eat crabs, and so. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what kind of crabs are these down there? They're blue crabs. Blue crabs mostly. Yeah. And then the other one is the other species is is uh, stone crabs, and they they harvest the big pinchers from the stone crabs, not the, oh, not wow. the crab itself. Wow. So. What is the first thing you do in the morning? For me, heating up a kettle and pouring it over Angler's Coffee is what starts my day. Angler's Coffee roasts some of the best coffee on the market, and every bag you purchase supports the fish species we love. Joe at Angler's also roasts and ships all Angler's Coffee within 48 hours to assure freshness. My favorite blend right now is the Woolies blend. Joe produces this dark roast blend that is perfect every morning just for me. Angler's has a blend for every taste a roast sampler, and pretty much any way you want to brew the coffee, they've got you covered. If you want to assure you're supporting fish and great coffee, then now is the time to test out Anglers for yourself. You can head over to wetflyswing.com anglers right now and check it out. That's anglers, A-N-G-L-E-R-S, to make a change today. You guys have a uh, a report card. I'm not sure if that's something you're involved with, but can you talk about that a little bit? What does the report card do? Is this like an annual thing? No, the report card was uh, is a result of a effort by the Heart Research Institute to essentially try to tell the public and and decision makers about the base system the issues and status of the base systems. And the first one that has been done for the San Antonio Bay system was just done in 2023 by, by heart. And so we, 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 I guess we talked to them about our issues and concerns. And, and so we worked with them, but it's their, their effort. And we're kind of, they were, we were involved in whether or not their conclusions made sense, but they essentially looked at, if you opened up the card, looked at it, you know, they try to grade the seagrasses, they try to grade oysters and they grade game fish they tried, you know, not on a scale. They they didn't use a scale of A B. I mean, of A's, B's, C's, and D's. There was a, it was healthy to unhealthy with kind of a sliding scale, and and the purpose is just try to help people understand what the issues are, so we can focus yeah, on work together, work together to get them addressed. Uh, and I and I hope that you know they got they got the 
money from the state general land office and a grant to do that program for the basis for the mid coast based systems. And I hope they're able to repeat that. I think it's a great tool and it certainly has been useful to us to talk about various issues as well. So it's, but I hope they repeat it, Uh, but that's uh, there, there, it was, we we collect a lot of data on the base systems in terms of population, you know, how the fish are doing, et cetera, and how the birds around the thing are doing, having that data available and, and, to the general public is always much more difficult. And so the scientists that are may see all this stuff, but people that, but the public generally doesn't get to see it very often. It's kind of back in the shadows. And so the report card brings it, brings it out in a way that, uh, that I hope makes the discussion of Bay health, a much more yeah. public discussion public, and, and it's where you can generate public uh, support to do the things to protect it. Love it. Yeah. That's, it's educate. Again, I think a big part of what you do too is, yeah, is the education for everybody, because I think, I think a lot of these issues, whether it's like keep them wet or anything like that, it's not necessarily like, I'm sure the report card isn't about saying how bad or like how terrible some groups doing. It's more about like letting people know. Some people have no idea, right. About this water thing. They have no idea that the Bay needs this fresh water and just letting some of the general public know probably can go a long ways to, to like, Maybe like voting for the right things. Is that kind of where you guys head with this? Well, you, well, we don't try to be political about it, but we try to try to make sure that the decision makers understand the impacts uh, of, 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 of decisions that they make. And all, all these things have played off. You know, so the, the, the demand on freshwater is being driven by people moving down here and wanting water to their, <laughs> to their house. Their yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so some of it is we have to understand the consequent, the decisions that we all make as individuals, but we all, we also make decisions collectively uh, in terms of how the policies that we set uh, and, and, and the regulations that we, you know, that we uh, ask our regulators to do uh, and the freshwater in, in getting up and going someplace else on its own, somebody is wanting it. <laughs> Whether it's whether it's individuals or, or, or subdivisions of development of people wanting to move or an industry that wants to do it and bring jobs, I mean all all those things are good uses of freshwater. But our goal isn't to stop them. Our goal is to make sure some of it is that we're doing the rationing of that limited resource in a way that maximizes the health of the bay as well. So. Nice, love it, love it. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, again, Texas is a large state. There's all sorts of great things and great cities and things like that. I, I go back to this. I can't remember where I heard this, but the, um, you know, the don't mess with Texas. Do you, do you <laughs> I don't know if you know how that started. Do you remember that? Uh, you, you may have heard of that, but it was kind of a, I think it was a county program that no, started it, it. It was a state. I don't, I don't know how it started, but it was, a, it was ultimately a statewide anti-litter program. Uh, but it's it's no longer active. <laughs> oh, it's not active, right? Right, but it got it got the whole thing going. the The marketing was great on it because it got yes. all of Texans behind. Like, hey, you know what I mean? Like, so do you remember that? So maybe give us some insight. Were you there when that program was going? <laughs> you are you asking how old I, am I? Dave? Is that what you're <laughs> hey, No, 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 no. I think yeah, we're uh, no, but. Uh, I'm just curious if I don't even know. I mean, it was sometime a, a while back, but now I mean, you think of no, don't. I think most people when they hear "don't mess with Texas," more like, "Hey, you know, this is Texas. This is our place. You know, we do our own thing, right?" You kind of got that. It's like this this part of Texas, but um, but yeah, you remember that when it was kind of a litter patrol thing? Yes, I do, and and it was a it was a very effective and award winning, apparently, mm. uh, 
educational program to reduce state litter. And I am trying to advocate to reinstate that litter. Oh, wow. Now, exactly, exactly how we do that. But it was, it was very effective. And I think it's something that the Texans are very proud of that campaign and will be very supportive of it. But the, but the, I forget what state agency was doing that, <laughs> but I would, uh, I would love to see it be reinstated statewide. Yeah. And, and because it worked, on. right. It got, it actually, the litter, the litter was really bad at some point, but the campaign really worked to get litter off the roads. Yeah. That's my impression. I don't know. I haven't seen the statistics of that, sure. but it was certainly, it was certainly well received by the public and one hopes that it did a job. And, and, yeah. and, you know, it, I don't exactly what the statistics on litter are. I, I can't sure tell you, but, but you can, can probably you what, see it. You can yeah. probably see it, right? You could probably be, I mean, even where I live, I mean, you notice it when there's a lot of graffiti, when there's a lot of litter, when there's a lot of stuff, you just see it around you. Well, you see it on the highway. Yeah. But, and, I, and I think the impetus, the impetus to our shorelines cleanup event that uh, may have been the impetus, you know, when I, I was talking to the Bayfast Lodge people. They've been they were very they've been very supportive of this program and doing lots of things themselves. The impetus f- for starting that thing here was I fish a lot of these shorelines, and you get it, it is very discouraging to fish this natural shoreline and see plastic bottles floating alongside the, the, the shoreline grass. Uh, it, yeah. it just it's not it's not as it should be. <laughs> you want to see a redfish tail, not a not right. a plastic bottle. No. And so, and so there's, so this is something we can do. We can improve on this. And so, so we started that campaign. And one of the, one of the things in starting it, we, we wanted to identify what the litter was. It's kind of like the crab traps so that we could maybe focus our educational activities on the problem. Uh, instead of just waving our hands and say litter is bad, we can, we can point toward Hey, we picked up two thousand water bottles last Saturday, drink bottles. What? Where do you think they came from? Right. They came. They likely they they're these are they're not. I think mostly are blowing off of people's boats. No <laughs> kidding. Using, that's my impression when you look at them and how clean they are. <laughs> right. Is this something where the you know like the kick plastic sort of thing? You know, like maybe go to a metal bottle instead of plastic, and that would reduce. Yes, in my in my humble opinion, that we we should be asking any any recreational fisherman to not take plastic water bottles on the boat with them. Take a take a metal water bottle. Take a metal. That's, that's an easy off. thing to do. Yeah, but it, it is easy to do. It, it, it's easy, but that it doesn't mean we're humans are pretty lazy. We're pretty lazy, <laughs> especially uh, especially <laughs> I think you the U.S. right U.S. folks are known. For a lot of waste, and, and I think that's one of our things we got to get better at. Well, and that, and that's that's kind of the learnings extracted from our from our shoreline. The litter is there because we we are not as good at managing that as we could be. And so things you can do, like if you don't take it on your boat, you can't blow off. Yeah. If you do take it on your boat, secure it. <laughs> right. And if you see one floating around, pick it up. Yeah. I mean th- those. If if every fisherman did that, the bay would be cleaner in six weeks. That's actually a good tip. That's actually one you've said a ton of great stuff, but that's a general tip for everybody. Think of it. You're in your home water wherever you are. Like I've passed up a lot of stuff and not picked it up. But that's something really easy. Like I could pick up one bottle or, or ten bottles, right? It's like that's if everybody did that, think of the change. 
Agree. Leave yeah. it. Leave it cleaner. Yeah. You know, cleaner. You know, if, if if somebody if a if a can blows off in your front yard, at your house, people pick it up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. To me, the bay is my front yard. Right. And so you know, if, if, if people would think of it that way, they would respect the bay more than what we do. So it's just, it's just. And that's collect- probably going back to the mess with, don't mess with Texas. That's probably how I'm, I'm thinking that's how that started, right? People were really like, hey, this is, this is our place. We don't want to leave right. garbage everywhere. We, this is our home, like on the highways that we are all, these are our highways, right? Is that kind of how it works? Yes. So it's, yeah. and we're proud of them. Yeah. Proud of the of the outdoor things that the state offers, and so right. quit screwing it up. Don't mess with yeah. us. So, what do you think about this from a marketing? So, this is your tagline for the shoreline. So, 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 don't mess with our shoreline. What What about that one? <laughs> <laughs> you may be onto something, Dave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the best because it evolved. You remember to get out when I belabor this, but I think this is really interesting because it is still don't mess with Texas. At least from people like me and outside of Texas, it seems like that's still the tagline for Texas. Like everything's bigger. It's Texas. It's you guys do everything bigger and better. Um, do you, how did it evolve into this more of a don't mess with Texas? Like don't mess with us sort of thing. Or or, or did it evolve outside of, outside of the environmental stuff? Oh yeah, probably sure it did. (laughs) We're, we're, we're individualistic in this state. And so don't, don't mess with us. is just kind of a mantra. That's it. Uh, and, and, and I think what, and what some, brilliant marketer was able to figure out that they could use that on an anti-letter campaign very effectively. And, That's right. and I think, it, and I think it worked and I think don't mess with our bays is probably another wrinkle of that. that we Yep. Can, don't mess. Keep it going. I think you're onto something. I think you got to keep, yeah, I think you can rekindle, rekindle it. <laughs> um, cool. Well, tell me this, Alan, I, I want to just circle around, make sure we don't miss anything. So today we've talked about a few big things, some awesome stuff you're working on. Anything else you want to shed light on for people listening that you have going that you don't want to uh, let those folks miss out on? No, I, I, I have a, a strain of the Chamber of Commerce in me. This is a great place. Mid-Texas Coast is is a great place to, to I think it's a great place to live because obviously I live here, but it, it's a great place to visit, if you're, especially if you're, if you're a fisherman or if you're a birder. Uh, this is great, great birding habitat uh, as well. Uh, the weather is is good, except during September. <laughs> right. What's the weather like right now? Today, it, it's uh, January right now. What, what is it like there today? Uh, 55 degrees and the sun is shining. Yeah, so 55 and sunny. So it's, it's a great. It's a yeah, and it's just it's a little windy. I'd, I would be fishing today if it were not quite a little bit a little bit windy today, but it's, to, to be out in the water. But it's it's a the winters here are, are quite nice. You know, we have yeah. a cold snap that lasts several days, and the wind blows for a while, but then it it warms up and comes back. Winters are, are quite good. The summers can be challenging just because it's hot and humid, but the weather's good. So, but it's a great place to visit, uh, and. Uh, this area is, is is because of that is growing rapidly. We have people that uh, live in Houston or live in Austin or San Antonio that have uh, second homes here to play, and they also come visit. They come uh, rent to the fish, and they use their fishing guides and fishing bait to drive our economy. So, uh, the, so come. When you, when you come, but when you come, respect our bases. Yeah, we will. <laughs> don't mess with our bases. Don't, don't mess with our bases. So yeah, this is, is going to be awesome. No, I, I'm excited to, and hopefully I'll be able to meet you down there, you know, when we put this together. No. Um, 
it's going to be a lot of fun. So, well, let's take it out here. We're going to take it out here pretty quick. Um, this is our, we love to do our a shout out. And uh, obviously we're doing a shout out to a conservation group and, you know, kind of the partnership you, that you have going here. Who else would be another shout out you might give? Are there any other groups kind of locally, regionally, or nationally that you, you think we should check in with or that you guys work with? I have a sister organization that's the Matagorda Bay. Their name is the Matagorda Bay Foundation, who who tries to do for Matagorda Bay what we do, what we do here. Gotcha. As well. And where's Matagorda Bay from? From San Antonio Bay. It is just just north, just up the coast from San Antonio Bay. Oh yeah, yeah, it's the big one, right? So it's actually bigger than San Antonio Bay. Uh, yeah. Well, at the it has. I don't know what the surface acreage are, but it's, it's, it's comparable. It's, it's fed by the Colorado uh, River and the Lavaca Navidad River or its big watersheds. And where the, where the, San Antonio Bay, the San Antonio Bay system is the Guadalupe and San Antonio Rivers that feed it. Oh, wow. The, yeah, each, right. of, each, each of these systems, the, the state kind of organizes its bay systems around estuaries and rivers that feed it. And so the Matagorda, the Matagorda Bay system is uh, is Colorado River and uh, Lavaca River, and the San Antonio Bay system is Guadalupe and San Antonio Rivers that provide the freshwater inflow. We we share a we the, we share past Cavallo, the connection to the Gulf, uh, with Matagorda Bay system. Okay, yeah, we, we have is, a common, we have a common system there. I see. Yeah, the more you describe it, the the it sounds really awesome. I mean, there's so many connections here, like the Guadalupe, right? That's like a famous. Not only we talked redfish, but you have some pretty good uh, freshwater there. Yes, I mean the people for for, for Guadalupe bass. Is that what you're? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've never fished for them. Maybe I've tried that one these days. There you go. Yeah, you you got so much going on there. You don't even have to leave your uh, your home water and go very far because I mean, again, redfish is one of those species. You think about all these species: musky, steelhead, you know, Atlantic salmon. Redfish is one of those. It's on the list, right? It's it's up right. there with. Well, why why is that? Why do you think redfish is such a destination species that people want to go for? You know, I think the thing that that thrills me is seeing them in shallow water. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're they're big. They can be big fish. You can catch them you know, 28, 30 inches up in the shallow water. You see them. They're they're aggressive. They're they they pretty aggressive at feeding. Uh, but the, it's just the, it's just the setting of seeing them walling around up here in six inches of water, and you, you got to put your fly on top of them without spooking them. So it's 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 a real it's a real hoot to to actually fish them. What's their biggest predator? I'm I'm guessing the dot on the tail is kind of a counter coloration thing for predators. Is, is there what, what's their biggest like natural predator there? I would guess when they're younger, I would guess that. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He, any kind of juvenile fish is probably eaten by other all sorts of stuff. Fish, all sorts yeah. of stuff. And so I don't yeah. know. That's an interesting. I've asked a fish biologist that question. Yeah, we'll have to check in. We'll have to check in on an upcoming. We're going to do more of this. So this will be good. Yeah, ask the Bay Flats people. They, they probably I will. They know the answer to that question. I will. Well, in fact, we have the episode with them is, is this week as well. So, yeah, they, they will have it. You know, you you were asking about other things that do conservation work. The, yeah, the, the 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 organization, the state that helped that I work with a lot that is key to our health is is the coastal fish Texas Parks and Wildlife Coastal Fisheries people who manage each of these bases. They're they're responsible for collecting the data 
you know, they, nice. they have all these data collection programs that help us keep track of, of, uh, right. of population of, levels, of populations, stuff. et cetera, and, and help and adjust the regu- the regulations to make it so that we, that this wouldn't work without their efforts to do that. You know, they get, they get blamed for lots of stuff, but their data, their protocols and their programs are essential to the health of the Bay. And so uh, they're, I mean, they're, they're government agencies and, and lots of the, like we're a non, we're a, NGO or nonprofit, but we couldn't do what we do without their support. Right. Uh, and so that would a, a shout out to them. Yeah. Love it. But no, that's a great shout out. I think that, uh, that's great to hear. And, and I'm going to give one more shout out because in your neck of the woods, we're helping uh, a bow at the Texas fly fishing and brew festival, um, which I think is North of you, but he's doing, uh, he's got his event coming up, which I think is actually going to be when this episode goes out, I think it's, it's the weekend of, uh, the release date of this episode. So if people are listening now, shout out to Bo, <laughs> go check out the Texas uh, uh, Fly Fishing and Brew Festival. That's going to be awesome. Well, what about uh, in a couple of last ones, uh, Alan, before we get out of here, um, let's talk fishing. We haven't talked fishing all, all day. What's your one redfish tip when you're out there? I know you don't do uh, a lot of fly fishing, but what is your tip to help somebody if they're thinking, man, they want to catch a redfish or have more success? What would you tell them? <laughs> Uh, you, you're not asking me to tell them my favorite fishing hole, are you, Dave? No, 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 no holes. We're not, we're not spot birded <laughs> here, but, but give us a, just a tip. Like when you're out there and you, you have success, what is it? Why are you having success? You know, I, I think, I think in terms of revenue, obviously picking the, the time and place is important, but when you're on the water, you just have, you have to, you have to pay attention. You have, you have to tune in. You have to tune in and watch, look at the bay. You look so that's the biggest thing. Just kind of forget everything else. Yeah. Observe. Be looking, be observe the water, observe the wrinkles in the water, observe the wakes, observe what the birds are doing. You just, just got to tune in different than what you normally do in your general daily life. Forget everything. Just look for the redfish and look, look for the redfish and eat, look for the redfish and look for the things that look different. That's a good tip. I guess that's probably this is pay attention. Yeah. Pay attention. No, I love it. I love it. Perfect. And, and I want to, I've got a couple of random ones here. So sports, I'm always interested uh, because I kind of uh, followed sports for a while. Do you have, are you a sports fan? I know San Antonio, the Spurs are uh, up there and they, they were a great team. What, what's your, do you have a sport? I, I probably fo- follow Astro, Houston Astro baseball. Closer oh, baseball. Than yeah. Awesome. Did you, did you play sports or what would be the sport if you were, would have gone pro in? What would? Uh, way, way back in by youth, I, I played high school sports. And then the intramural sports after that, but but uh, football and baseball were my two favorites. And, and I and I've as I've as I've aged, but I probably appreciate baseball more than anything else. And yeah, what what position did you play in baseball? I was a second baseman. Oh, second base. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Baseball was one of my sports but, too. So I but I never could hit a curve very well. Oh so I didn't, right. <laughs> so could couldn't play. Wouldn't that and wouldn't fast enough to play. They say it's it but it was fun. Yeah, this is great. No, awesome. And and one last one here: the kayak. Uh, you mentioned you fish out of a kayak. What um, what what's the brand or what what is a kayak you love to use out there? And then talk about maybe is that easy to do? Uh, catch redfish out of a kayak? No, it's not easy to do. It's, I find it is effortful. I guess we, the I, I fish out of I have a believe it or not I have a I fish out of a homemade kayak. Oh wow. But it is a homemade kayak that is styled around a a touring kayak that was built 
it was it Eddie Line is the one that oh Eddie Line that I, yeah but I, I think it's on the, it's on the West Coast somewhere sure. oh yeah we know Eddie Line yeah what anyway, I I bought that kayak I don't know twenty years ago just to, to paddle in but I started fishing out of it but it it, it has an enclosed cockpit that makes it difficult to get in and out of in the shallow water et cetera so I essentially with a friend made a fiberglass version of that and cut the cockpit out. So I can can sit in, and so I can get in and out. It so it it paddles it paddles a lot better than a most most of fishing kayaks around here are broader. They're stabler. They're broad and stable, and and they you can carry lots of gear on. But I kind of take a different strategy. I I want mine to be easier to paddle, and I don't take much gear, so I go light, and I can paddle this thing in shallow water looking for fish, and I can. I, if it's in shallow water, so I can drop my foot off the side and stop the boat like your fly fishing pulling guide can do. So you can see you can see the fish and try to catch them. So I, 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 I've just enjoyed doing that. But the, the, one of the difficulties is you're sitting you're sitting down pretty low and it's very it's difficult to see the fish yeah, right. sometimes. And so, so <laughs> a lot of times when you see them, it's too late. <laughs> Oh, right. That, can you stand up so you can't stand up in it at all? I can't, not in my boat. Not in your boat. Yeah, that's, that's one well, of those if, things if, you see. If, yeah. Yeah, but if, if, I, if I find fish and the bottom is, 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 lets me, I get out and wade. So I st- I'll get oh, out. Oh, nice. And wade fish. And so, oh, there you go. I paddle, so paddle till I see them. And then if the bottom lets me, I'll get out and wade. If not, you're kind of, you're subject to the wind. Some people, I, I don't carry an anchor. I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I, I believe in simplicity, and so it, part part of the challenge is is just me and the fishing pole and a couple of lures and and paddle around till I see an area that looks good, and then I uh, slow down or get out if I start seeing fish that I don't see not seeing soon enough from the kayak. I stand up and wade. And you can see them a lot better. All uh, right. You know, but you know, it, with with on a fly fishing trip, you know, if you're with the guide here on a on the bow of the polling skiff, and you're standing up, you're standing up higher, and the guide's up another six or eight. But they see they see a lot better. But that that's part of the challenge of this is trying to see them see them before they see you. That's it. No, I love it because that's the cool thing about it, and, and I think that uh, you know it's the challenge. That's part of it. if it was easy, you know, probably it wouldn't be as fun, right? <laughs> And the, the, the good thing about about paddling, I I can if the fishing is slow, I paddle and bird watch, and you see all kinds of you see all kinds yeah. of things out there in that shallow That's water, whether it's stingrays or whatever it is. So it's just it's just a it's a more natural outing to me than uh, that. And and like I said, I I use my boat to get my kayak close to my fishing area. You know, it's just it's it's so I don't have to paddle. You know, three hours to get out there. I take you know, run twenty minutes right from the boat, there. and I launch my kayak, and I fish till I'm done. I oh, don't yeah. fish out of my out of my boat. So that's right. Yeah, and you're getting some exercise, right? Paddling. Yes, it is. You do you do to get that. So you, it it is effortful, but you know, the best things in life aren't aren't free. So sounds perfect. All right, Alan. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, we'll send everybody out to sabaypartnership.org if they want to uh, connect. And like you said, you you know either. Maybe donate some money or find some events you guys are working on. Those are two easy things people can connect with. But um, yeah, just want to thank you for your time today. This is appreciate the the great work you're doing and, and excited to uh, hopefully maybe see you in person down there and, and keep in touch. I, I look forward to seeing you, Dave. Seeing you down here, and I uh, and thank the Bay Flats Lodge people for connecting us. Uh, they're 
They're good folks, and they've been very supportive of our programs as well. So That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com, if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.